Welcome to Here Come the Sequels, a full spoiler podcast where we take a look at popular film franchises one movie at a time. I'm Tyler. I'm Alex. And I'm Britton. Yeah, and um, this is we've got some unfortunate news. Um, as you may know, the writer strike is going on, um, which you know I, I fully support uh, all our, our writers and their uh, sort of endeavor to uh, you know get some some fair rate, fair wages. But unfortunately, that does mean this is going to be our first unscripted episode. Oh, Here come the sequels. <laughs> we, no. We're just going to have to wing it, <clears throat> kind of see what happens. Oh, God. Um, I, I knew it was weird that Brian wasn't here <laughs> to give me the cue cards. Oh, you know, this, boy. This is the perfect time to admit that I haven't watched this movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I've i been really... <laughs> they always cut- just tell us what to say. I've been riding, riding Brian's coattails for a minute, guys. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> That bit was also the last joke they wrote for us. They gave us one to, to go off of. So think about think about that. I don't know. F- make that work. Um, <laughs> uh, we are talking about the Born supremacy. We this sure are. Week allegedly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have a follow up on that. Oh, okay. <laughs> no prank, Joe. We're actually talking about Shoka lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the Born Supremacy. Uh, it is from 2004. It has an 82% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 90% audience score. And in the director's hmm. chair, uh, no longer oh. Doug Lyman, it is now Paul Greengrass, who will do parts two, three, and five. I'm surprised that um, and, and 82 is not a low critic score, but I would have thought the critics hmm. would have been higher on, on, on these movies than they are. Now, again, not a low score. Um, but these scores are fairly comparable to the first one, which I'm yeah. not super surprised by. I'm actually, I'll be perfectly honest. I thought this movie was fine. Um, there's a lot, um, in terms of the technical side of things that I really liked. I felt the story was a bit of a downgrade and I I don't think this was made to be like a two-parter kind of like, um, uh-huh. <clears throat> What happens with like Back to the Future or the Matrix movies where it's like you have your one really successful movie and then you've got the two that are kind of back to back, but they're like kind of built as one story. I don't think that's really the case with this. I think they were just like, we're just making another one. Yeah, Um, it's weird because I feel like the first movie feels like a i don't know i mean like it's it's self-contained like it's it's its own action movie this yeah. one is so different in style and also feels almost a little bit smaller yeah. um in a way that almost makes it feel like this is the one that should have been like oh we made the one movie and then that was big really successful so we went and made two more sure. like both of these movies feel like that <laughs> which is interesting and maybe is is how it helps it kind of continue to be a fresh franchise for at least a little while uh by not really making maybe going through some of those pitfalls but yeah i, feel, I had that thought I, I do feel like uh, on the one hand it avoids the sequelitis problem problem where it's just like oh yeah. we're just repeating what the the first one was it kind yeah. of avo- it sidesteps he get, that he doesn't get bonked out of the head with a coconut at the beginning of the movie and is like <laughs> where what and marie goes a new love interest he, marie's like he, here we go again he yeah. does fall into the water and sad things happen but beyond he that does. Right. um right but then on the other hand, kind of the negative side of this, I I don't know if it was just like my experience watching it this time. It felt kind of like half a movie. Mm. It felt like there wasn't enough meat on the bone in terms of the story. 
I kind of appreciated it not because I feel like a lot of sequelitis means we go too big. Sure. Yeah. Like, which in some cases I understand the Bellas have to not just perform for a college uh, championship acapella. Like, I get that you want to raise it a little bit. Um, but Pitch Perfect 2 really has become my like quintessential um, too big for its britches sequel. But <laughs> what do I know? Um, uh, I don't hate it. But I, I, so I kind of respect that, that it still felt fairly contained. While at the same time, yeah, and I wonder, I wonder almost if it's not so much that it felt smaller to me as it just, because the camera is so, everything's tighter, everything's closer. It's not, we don't have as many, there are wide shots, we don't have as many like vistas or what have you yeah. as in the previous movie, so. Yeah. Yeah. Is the well, movie, I guess it can't be entirely handheld, but it, it goes for the feeling of, of handheld, everything yeah. being handheld, including some of the bigger shots as well. Yeah. Like it goes for like, this is looking up from above while it's like right. still right. kind of that unsteady approach but speaking yeah. of close oh go ahead oh the, the I was say, yes. yeah let's get go, close do. by learning about this movie <laughs> okay the we've had better segues we have had um <laughs> and i'll just dive on into the synopsis for the born supremacy which reads thus jason Bourne, matt damon is living in india when he is framed mm. by russian agent kirill carl urban for the theft of millions from the cia Kirill begins to pursue Bourne, intending to assassinate him. But while Bourne and his girlfriend, Marie, Franca Potenta, are on the run, a shot meant for him kills her instead. Oh, boy. Vowing revenge, Bourne sets out to prove his innocence and bring the culprits to justice, but he has to evade CIA head Pamela Landry, Joan Allen, who is convinced he is guilty. Mm. All right, and that's just, accurate and real. Just just, just spoil the, the big kind of opening twist of the movie. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I. Once it opened with them being happy, I was like, "Oh, she's dead. Yeah, <laughs> she's gonna die. They're happy." And and I I both understand why that is the the catalyst for the rest of the movie, and I like that he and Julia Stiles didn't become a love couple, a, a love couple, you know, like you humans <laughs> say, um, <laughs> you know, with their mouth kissing. I think mm-hmm, that's but, we should retire uh uh you are a good woman I am good man and just replace it with a love couple. <laughs> These yeah. are a love couple. But I'm glad yeah. that didn't happen. And but I I just don't like that Marie died. That just felt so like yes. come on movie. I I think especially I mean you compare it to What well, when was Mission Impossible 3? 2006, so 2 years after this. Yeah, like that also one with Michelle Monaghan. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah, I know. Oh, okay. The first one we have Walton Goggins just sitting there yes, I was working say, on computers. Yeah, literally, and then... Michelle Monaghan is our Walton Goggins. This movie of just like the person who doesn't really do a whole lot, but they are yeah. there and have some lines because they're behind the computer. I hope um, every movie has a future breakout brunette who's really I talented. Gonna, I was gonna say I can't well, wait. I can't wait to get to Born Ultimatum and James McAvoy is just sitting there. <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? Uh, which this is like like Michelle Monaghan is in this uh, Mission Impossible three. Uh, t- what's the I I had it on the t- well, my kiss, tongue. Kiss Kiss Bang um, Bang. Eagle is Eye. Oh Eagle Eye. Eagle yeah. Eye. <laughs> Which uh, HBO Max kept telling me to watch after I watched these. Yeah. Two. Why not? Yeah, we should uh, do that. We could. We should go check it out. Hey, come on. Um, uh, we'll check as, it out as, alongside as, Vantage Point. As Charlie would say. I'm just going say, to. I'm going to dredge up. No, you know what it is. Is I'm going to get. I want. I want to see that. I want to see. Vantage point. I want to see source code, 
Okay. These are three action movies. I guess Source Code's maybe a little bit different, but I want those three. Yeah. And I think she's in that. Yes, she is. I think that's why it oh, was on perfect. my mind. So like, well, there you go. she's not in Vantage Point, but it's fine. Uh, I want to, I think we should do a, a trilogy of that. I'm just pitching that live yeah. on the podcast here that like we just, three movies that stick in my brain from when <laughs> I was younger. Does this um, mean one? And we could also, sorry, Britain. No, I was going to say, as Shia LaBeouf would say, we have to go, 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 go um, to yeah. those movies. D- does this also mean we need to watch iRobot because it has Shia LaBeouf and no. Bridget Moynihan? <laughs> no. Wait, he's in that? Yes, he is. When? Not allowed. He he's like um like the goofy side character that's friends with Will Smith and then he like helps lead the human revolution against the robots at I the end. I did not spoilers. know that. Yeah, spoilers. Wow. <laughs> um Oh, I know what I'm thinking I'm thinking of I am legend. Okay. Oh yeah. No, no, he <laughs> showed up. He he showed up as one of the, the vampires. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, um but what I was gonna say was um uh, she was also in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang around this time. Yeah. It's like a real movie. Like, th- this is, I feel like she has, like, a three-year window. Yeah. Where she really, like, it seems like she's going to be around a lot longer. And then since then, she's kind of, like, mostly done smaller projects and yeah, just, like, some TV and work stuff. and stuff. Um, it's just a little sad. I feel like. Yeah, yeah she's I great. Like, I like Michelle Monaghan. Totally. She should come back for things. Um, get her in an MCU, as I say. There it is. Uh, Sue Storm. Yeah, well. Maybe. The Beyonder. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> not? Come on. Come on. <laughs> um, anyway, this is a time where she is around. Yeah. Um, what I, <laughs> Looping us back around to the original point as we sort of had a uh, tangent within the tangent here. Um, her, she, the Mission Impossible movies handle her where, her well, where she, uh, almost dies then kind of like they they're able to keep her around and so like they kind of establish the stakes and then have that be like the reason why she's no longer in them right which i think works really well and i believe i mean they haven't killed her off in any of those if i'm not mistaken yeah i assume they wouldn't probably they'll end up finishing with ethan whoever (laughs) Man with a last name getting to be with her or whatever, because, you know, he'll stop being a spy or whatever. So, like, I, I think that, you know, there's elegant ways to handle it where you can still have that be an emotional stake and not have it be like, I'm very sad because my wife died uh, and we just got rid of her, even though she was a fun and interesting character. And, yeah. like, the audience was invested in her. We're, we're just turning her into only the... The, the guy being sad about her that's yeah. that's her purpose now yeah um it's it they yeah it's it's fridging her it's it's yeah totally the classic just like kill off usually the female love interest to give some stakes to the, the male like it i i agree it's i mean it gives me shades of um alien 3 uh that does some very similar things and we talked about that quite a bit when talking about that movie like Sometimes you get these sequels that are just like, we don't want anything to do with the past one, so we're going to wipe the board clean, and that involves doing things that are really annoying. <laughs> if I could throw out another structure. A- another example where the love interest could have easily died in the opening action sequence and then survives to the rest of the movie. No time to die. There you yeah. go. Deadpool 2. Um, <laughs> that did come to my mind because 
we're talking about this sort of thing. But that's yeah. a whole, it's a well, whole another discussion. Whole other um, can of makes. I yeah. I have a feeling that if we were like, oh, we're gonna do another review for Deadpool two, we're gonna give it another try. I feel like Tyler and I would both end up giving it an F. Like, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's it would right. it would not end well for Deadpool two. <laughs> Correct. Uh, like good Deadpool luck, 2. Deadpool three. Um, <laughs> we we're pulling for you, buddy. <laughs> are talking about the porn supremacy? Sure are. Well, yeah, but, and but yeah, I, just, I, I say that though. I liked the rest of the movie. I just, mm-hmm. it's just like I wish they had found a different spark to like, like, or maybe oh, I don't know if she was like injured but didn't just die. And that's because you know, she dies, and then Matt Damon's there in the under the underwater, and he just watches her sink, and then he's like, "Well, Poe body's perfect," and then he goes back off on his adventure. <laughs> Correct. I, I do think that they handle it about the best that they can sure and by that i mean she actually gets some scenes at the beginning she gets some dialogue and it it does feel like the same relationship where she's trying she's asking fairly logical questions she's trying to be you know uh, there's a good back and forth between both of them it feels fairly balanced she gets Um, to go shopping that's Mm -hmm. as one does and Mm -hmm. he he does a nice he does a run Mm -hmm. (laughs) true as people sometimes do i like to walk (laughs) <laughs> i smell the roses millennials <laughs> all respect to jason Bourne, but i'm built different uh. <laughs> um the image of her body floating away has stuck with me for a mm-hmm. long time i think that is a just dramatically speaking that is yes, a the- amazing shot and weirdly enough this was my first experience with the born movies i saw this in the theater huh. with my dad Mm-hmm. and so i had like no idea what was going on um yeah. and so like the two things that i remember sticking with me is kind of her body floating away and just like the crazy taxi cab chase at the end but we can talk about that yeah um but yeah i think it gives it it doesn't feel so callous that it's just like opening scene we kill her off and yeah. she gets like two lines right. of dialogue it doesn't feel that that rough but it's still it's still not ideal just because one of the things that I like so much about the first movie was their back and forth and the fact that yeah. that mm-hmm. carried so much of the movie. And, like, Bourne is in his head so much in this movie. And he does have conversations with other people. He talks to to the the last of the Treadstone assassins. He talks to, to Pamela on the phone a couple times. He talks to Nikki. But so much of the movie, he's just in his head having flashbacks. And I'm like, I... It's not quite as compelling to me until you get to the end and he tells the 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 Russian girl that he killed her parents. And I'm like, oh, this is a really good scene. I don't know yes, if it very good fits this movie. I don't know if this movie was leading up to that. Well, that scene, <clears throat> I think that Matt Damon, I think he's even better in this movie than he was in the previous. I think yes. it's definitely a step up in his performance. And I liked him in the previous, but yeah, I, I think he's so good in that last scene. Um, it, it's kind of closer Tyler to what you're talking about with what he does in interstellar where it's this kind of like darker version of him in a way, but like he just plays that scene really beautifully. I'll, I would also note, and we'll have to talk about the rest of the movie. That is a scene where the editing really slows down and the movie slows down in a good way. Yeah. Where this is about the dialogue. This isn't about exposition. This isn't about leaping around and simulating anything. This is about these two characters having this exchange. He's wonderful in it. And the shots are wider. It's not just mm-hmm. these tight close-ups. 
like the style really changes, but in a way that I, I liked, um, cause we can talk about the overall style of, of the rest of the movie, which is very tight and shaky, but I liked that in this one, it just slowed down. It was like still shots one, him, then her, then him. I thought that that worked really beautifully. I think it's a really, really good performance for him just throughout the whole movie. I thought he was really, really good in it. Yeah. I think, um, despite my reservations about him not talking, as much um yeah. i think he does great with the physical acting yet oh, again yeah. mm-hmm. um he just knows how to carry himself and this is he's not having to play so much the naive side that he was right. in the first movie where he's just trying to rediscover himself and what's going on um this one is a lot more oh i've got to get my hands dirty i'm a man of action now and c- kind of playing up the physical side even more um yeah i think he's yeah. still he is carrying this movie yeah, he, not not he like really... I said, not to say that it's terrible, but just by virtue of him of this being his role, he is carrying it. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what threw me off about the first one. I talked about that a bit. That like this and Ultimatum are the two that like stick in my brain as far as his performance and and how he is in those. Um, he, th- this is I think it, he does a really great job showing himself slip back into the assassin like always one step ahead mode um the script i think it's really smart in that way it gives them or gives some ways for the character to be really proactive and like do some really smart stuff that uh you know helps show that he has this these instincts and that he has this training that kick in and allow him to do some really insane things um and that's why he was such a good assassin and that whole that whole deal works really well and comes to light really well in this uh and I, yeah, I found him very effective at getting to that and recreating that version of the character that we never got to see. Uh, I think it, I think it works quite well. And I think <clears throat> the ending does sort of help to soften the fact that so much of the movie is predicated on his wife gets shot and just unceremoniously kind of taken out of the movie. Um, because I did, I did feel like the entire movie is about him grappling with what he had done in his past and then coming to a conclusion of like, I need to confront the people that I hurt. Um, obviously he's not necessarily going and finding every single person who was affected by all the people he may or may not have killed, but he has this one specific memory that's coming back to him of what he did. And he's like, I can make this one thing not even a right, but I can give catharsis. And like, I understand the importance of that and the, the importance of like being able to kind of, put a a bow on the cause of your grief um obviously he kind of restores the well maybe get into it a little bit more but he restores the i guess uh reputation or the the way that this younger girl feels about her parents dying because she was always told that they had shot each other and it was a whole mess and like you know basically was like a dispute and not them being killed in cold blood in their home so like or in their apartment so like that i think all comes together and ties together really well to make a really nice character journey for him um but i do i just i feel like that i almost wonder if it would have been better not to see her at all see marie at all like there's a part of me that's like what if you just did you know had that explained at the beginning of the movie and we're just upfront about it of her, you know, 
not being in the movie again. I don't know. I it it is it feels like just a decision that's not a good idea, and there's not really this is probably about as good as you could handle it, but there's not really a good way to handle it, and uh, that is frustrating. Um, I think overall my biggest issue with the movie is kind of I feel like the born character arc is running up against the plot of the movie and they're kind of butting heads for for who's in control um and tell me if i'm missing something because this involves like spy plot details and maybe i was missing some things so if i am fair enough so born he the whole idea is that over the past couple years while he's been in hiding he's starting to get glimpses and flashbacks to previous missions and this there's one particular one that he's he keeps coming back to which is apparently his first mission that gets him into right. Treadstone. And also, I really like that we have Conklin in the flashbacks. Mm-hmm. That's really yeah. nice that, that Chris Cooper shows up. Even, you know, he's just kind of sitting there in a car just saying in a, a few lines. Like, blurry yeah. shot. Like, but I, I like it. Like, you can tell that it's him. Um, yeah. But Bourne's having these clear memories. And, and like, when he confronts Nikki about it, and he's like, why was I there? um what was the mission and she's like i have no idea that was off the books if you were there that's not something anything i know about um and it turns out that he was ordered by conklin who above him would be um brian cox's character abbott Mm -hmm. and the russian oil baron as well yes gretkov i think is his name and basically they're they're doing corruption shenanigans, and they want him to kill Nesky, who is a Russian politician who's trying to get rid of corruption. Specifically is trying to, I think, block some of the power the oil business right. has in Russia. Yeah. Um, and basically, Bourne's mission is to go in and assassinate him. His wife is there. Bourne didn't know about that, so that's why he stages it. He kills them both and then stages yeah. it like they, they shot each other. Um, so that's that's... Bourne is trying to discover this event and what happened and what he did. That's that's that is half the plot. The other half is in the present. Bourne gets framed for a murder because there's a Russian something rather somebody who's going to sell secrets. And I believe specifically it is related to. And it ties back to Gretkov and Abbott and the Treadstone stuff. See, this, I I feel like the fact that the Gretkov of it all, I guess, it feels very convenient that the one memory that Bourne is really hyper-focused on also relates to the exact thing that he's being framed for now. Well, or I the think, exact people involved. Yeah, I guess, I guess you know, because if it were just if it were just Brian Cox's character, and it's just like, oh, he's the mastermind behind Treadstone. Of course, he's involved with all of this. But the fact that they have the Russian oil baron in there as well, yeah. if that felt very much like, oh, this is like a convenient spy plot that's just happening now because the, I we think need a the sequel. files, the files and secrets are vague enough. I, I think they're explained at the end is like it's just Brian Cox, like a lot of stuff that helps kind of destroy his reputation and you know show what he was really doing the whole time sure but yeah the specifically the fact that it is tied to the like the fact that carl urban i i feel like urban specifically is really what ties the two together in a way that's like yeah that kind of (laughs) it's a little bit convenient that he's the one who killed them and then also was there it's also plot efficiency i mean you don't necessarily need another character 
to be uh doing the one killing over here and then also killing Marie and then being involved in the end. But yeah, it is it is a little bit convenient. And they just and, happen to have a camera crew. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you, oh, you just stumbled on a gaffer, I guess. And Matt Damon. Yeah. 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 Well, you guys didn't miss. Uh, maybe it was a deleted scene. Uh, Matt Damon's just running next to a guy who's just like smacking his camera wildly and just like throwing it all around. <laughs> yeah. And, and talk- Bourne, yeah. Bourne's just like, be careful with that. You might You might throw it. <laughs> you might drop it or something. Looks yeah. expensive. <laughs> I do. I do want to talk about the, the the shaky cam thing. This is kind of Greengrass's whole bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I am obviously the the first person to complain about this kind of stuff in most movies. But I, I have to kind of praise the movie because I feel like, despite me not being wild about that approach, I never didn't understand what was happening narratively or physically. Like I under I always understood where everybody was in relationship to each other. That car chase at the end is very good. It's mm-hmm. just very good. There's also not that many really like action sequences. Um yeah. but like it's it's one of the I'll be interested to see how I view Ultimatum, which I think won an Oscar for the editing. Um because I, I think in this one it was just such a switch from identity. Um where it used the the, the quick cuts a few times. And that's just how this movie is shot. Just like, we're always just kind of mid stuff. Um, which I'm, I'm, I wasn't really held off by that much. Cause I think it was, there was a solid enough foundation with all of it. And the performances are all very good. And I don't feel like the editing deprived me of those performances. Like it, it's like the style that I don't really respond to, but done so much better so that I still could respond to it. Yeah. Um, so I don't love to see movies shot this way and cut this way. But if they're going to be, it seems like this is kind of the way to do it because I still understood everybody. I still got to appreciate how good everyone is in the movie. And I, and like I said, I really appreciate how they switched out of that at the end, which kind of makes me more okay with the preceding parts of the movie. Cause I'm like, okay, all of this is a style choice. This is not hiding things. This is not yes. whatever. This is, this is intentional. So. Yeah. And I, I think it helps that it's very clear that with, with, it being green grass's style like from the get-go this is his vision this is how he wants to execute the sequences exactly it's not after the fact where they're like they've got subpar action scenes and they are having to use stunt doubles all over the place and they're like oh we kind of have to do that as a crutch don't we exactly Um, yeah it it feels staged for his style yeah um I, i know a lot of people like to make fun of the uh the house fight between Bourne and uh martin Sokus's character uh jarda i think um the last of the treadstone agents um and of course martin sokos is my favorite actor because he played dr kafka in the amazing spider-man 2 and i will never mm-hmm. let that go um but people love to make fun <laughs> of that fight i think maybe because of the editing on that one because it's a very tight it's a very close quarters kind of fight um that is the one that i was gonna say kind of <clears throat> it, it struck me as like because it is early on and it is very fast and i was kind of like i don't know if this is going to work for me 100 percent. and then i feel like throughout the rest of the movie i kind of settled in i think that one maybe it's just it is a little bit quick there are points where it's kind of like i can't quite follow exactly what is happening yeah. i just see them flailing <laughs> yeah <laughs> like we're ending at a conclusion but and i think it's it's 
potentially verging on silly where Bourne rolls up a mm-hmm. uh, magazine and uses that to fight. That, that's that's like, okay, that works for John Wick. Maybe not Bourne. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It does. I It does continue to make me realize how much John Wick owes to these movies because of like, we, I talked about the um, kind of calling of the assassins and, and all that stuff. And the fact that it's about like a troubled character who is working their way through a uh, conspiracy that is mostly just focused on like, how are they getting through this world? It's not necessarily as much about the convoluted spy plots and everything, but then also they've really emphasized there's the like pin that I used in the last one. They've had him use different vehicles and stuff like that. And this one, he, uh, he spits vodka at somebody uh, to like throw people off Uh, all, all that stuff of like, basically he uses, anything that he can find as a weapon every everything can become something that he is able to kill somebody with or get out of a situation with um he is not only does he use the magazine to fight but then he like sticks it in a toaster and i think he does he like oh no he he uh opens a gas main yeah in the house and then so then the house explodes when the toaster goes off or whatever when the magazine catches on fire like it's that is all very much stuff that obviously in John Wick, they really take to 11 and say like they have the stuff about, he killed a man with a pencil and all that stuff. So that, that has been a really fascinating thing to find on revisiting these is that I think there's definitely a direct line from the, this style at least to those. Um, that's, it's neat. These movies are creative and fun and I like them quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, overall, just something that I appreciated uh, when compared to the first movie. I thought the sound effects in the fights were mm-hmm. far less cheesy. <laughs> um, it just felt it felt like very just like straightforward fight sounds. And like, yes. I don't know, it didn't sound like Indiana Jones punching um, in a very grounded, serious spy thriller, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, we... Oh, I was gonna say, we didn't even mention John Powell uh in the first for the first movie i don't believe no uh, when we were talking about it uh who did the score for this as well and this time i noticed it a lot more i mean i think the the moby stinger kind of steals the show from for these movies in terms of music it really does (laughs) but this movie i noticed it a lot more uh obviously and quickly that it was like integrated into kind of the suspense of the movie where i i didn't really catch that in the last one which is odd and john powell is i mean he did i believe the how to train your dragon movies i think so yeah um he did great. x-men the Some last X-Men stand stuff. yeah yeah which uh, is actually a very good score and probably my only positive about that movie yeah. <laughs> he helped john mcclain take down all those bad guys back in 88 mm-hmm. <laughs> that was al powell right Yes, Owl Powell, the, right, <laughs> his, right. his avian friend with a, motor, a mortarboard hat. No, it was a joke about the last name. No, I was, I was genuinely, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't remember his name. It's like John Powell's score is pretty good. Pretty good in these. <laughs> Alex, what were you saying? Um, what was I saying? Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, yeah. We podcast good around here. I, okay. I just feel that Paul Greengrass's style fits this material perfectly. Yes. And I don't know if Doug Lyman chose to walk away. I know he's got an executive producing credit on this, but I don't know how much of a say he had in any of this. Um, I, I don't know the reason that he walked. Maybe the studio had trouble with him on the first one. I, I don't know what the story is. Um, 
but I kind of wish that Paul Greengrass had done the first one because mm-hmm. I feel like, particularly, I, I feel like this one is kind of an even trade-off with the first in terms of I like the story more in the first movie, but I like the style and the execution yes. a lot more in this. Yeah. He was probably movie... in pre-production for Mr. and Mrs. Smith or directing two episodes of The O.C. Yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this movie definitely, I mean, it is more of a true, like, there is, I don't know what, I don't know how to say this in a non-pretentious way. <laughs> there, there's a real consideration to the, the style um, and the... Yeah, the editing, the way it's shot, everything about it is really cinematically unique and interesting. Um, and obviously that becomes kind of Greengrass's trademark. I don't know what he'd made up to this point. Uh, I feel like these really put him on the map. Well, I know but... that he, because not too long after this, or was it, I can't remember where it was. I think it was a couple of years after this, he would make United 93. Yeah, I which think it's is, after. Which I have not seen, but is apparently quite good and I imagine quite harrowing. Yes, um, I believe the the least controversial movie about nine eleven, probably, um, probably. Which is not to say not controversial. Don't quote me on that. Uh, <laughs> <but> <laughs> we should all be watching Come From Away. Is really the point. Yes. Okay. Um, I guess maybe that's actually that's really maybe that go watch Come From Away. But having said that, I because I you know he got nominated for that one, um, mm-hmm. and, and I can imagine the style working very well in that as well. And I think that Ultimatum will be easier for me because I, there won't be that stylistic shift. And it's not that Doug Lyman, and we talked about this last week, he's made some really solid movies, but he's not a director who has this, like, really specific style. Yeah. It's like, he makes movies, some of them he makes quite well, but Greengrass does, it's, it's, it's the switch from like, oh yeah, that's a movie, to, okay, this is a very specific way of making a movie. And I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's going from uh, Columbus to uh, Koran. In the Harry Potter. Film. Oh sure, sure, sure. <laughs> like it's it's that's actually a really great comparison. Like it yeah. is you you go from sort of a journeyman director, someone who who does it's like yeah, we're putting the script on the film and like right, their skill is in working with the cast and getting the production together. Like it's it makes me think a little bit of like uh, football football teams, mm. American football teams. You got some coaches are like, I'm good at having the business together every everything yeah. works i hire good people and i am i am someone who knows about football but i'm not like the person getting in there and then you have other coaches who are like i'm going to go like coach individually everybody and specifically how i want them like i have a very specific vision for how to play the actual game and like i apply that <clears throat> to all the players it's it's that sort of thing where i think you you have some directors who do just do the work and the reason they get work and the reason that they are successful is because they're very good at that. But then you have other directors like this where they do have such a sense for yeah. how to bring a vision to life and how to make something that is special and interesting. Um, you know, when you like just from the way the camera works in the movie. And so I, uh, I, I appreciate it. I didn't, I, it really worked on me as the movie went on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I got kind of this overall, it, yeah. this overall effect. Uh, I took a Russian cinema course <laughs> in there in we high go sc- again or not high school in a in college and uh, my high school would not have offered a Russian cinema course <laughs> in college I did 
And, His middle uh, school did, though. Yeah, really yes, weird. that's true. And I, I just passed on that one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I passed on that one to uh, start taking Mandarin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was like, share, share, but no. <laughs> that is, like, uh, the, the one takeaway I got from that, which I would not mention normally, but I'm going to go ahead and jump on this tangent because this is a movie with Russia <laughs> in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole there's a whole unit on born supremacy i'm sure yes yes uh but it talks one thing and or it talks it one thing that is really central to like russian theory of cinema is like having like combining um different images together at the same time but there's a specific word for it i don't know what it, what it is exactly but it's like when you jump from one thing to the other and then like having those things sandwiched together creates evokes a specific vision um and so that was something that was kind of on my mind is like this is a movie that is really using the language of cinema very effectively and is really like generating something out of that where you can jump from one thing to another um i mean it almost gives me like comic book vibes <laughs> it's sure. it's almost something like that where it's like you just get these these really stylized vivid shots of things and it jumps between them so quickly and so rapidly and like strings them all together in such a way that it's it's telling action through these like glimpses of what's going on um it's really impressive like i i imagine that there are not many people i mean kind of like michael bay there's not many people who can do it quite like that it is a lot more difficult to pull off than you would realize um he's he's got an eye an eye for things that that paul greengrass is going places (laughs) he made captain phillips right yes Mm -hmm. that's good which i need to see i've not seen it I put best. it on my watch list uh, after this. Some of the best work Tom Hanks has done. Uh, yeah, I... Yeah, I, he also made uh, Mr. Rogers... The, the Tom Hanks Mr. Beautiful Rogers Day movie, in the Neighborhood, right? yeah. Yeah, Paul Very Greengrass good. made that, right? Paul Greengrass made it. Yeah, it's all really close-up shots of Daniel Tiger. He also it's made wild. Big. That was his first movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Laugh! <laughs> Laugh at my show. Look at these boys. They wouldn't be big, but they're not yet. Um... <laughs> I will say shaky cam going up Tom Tom Hanks. <laughs> uh, just looking at how tall he is. Just constantly you're just it's just a, a, a fractured uh pieces of Zoltar. Your mind sort of assembles <laughs> into the into the sort of gestalt. <laughs> uh <laughs> you know, I hear they're uh, considering Antonio Banderas to play Zoltar. I <laughs> Topical? Topical. Topical on a rumor that might not happen. Or is anything at all. Um, Puss in Boots. Yes. At, at work recently, I said, hey, another movie that's better than you would think it is, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And then I just kind of explained why I liked it to my mm-hmm. coworkers who were very patient with me. <laughs> um, but uh, what I wanted to that say... Last, uh, that last sequence of sentences there was was sort of a Paul Greengrass-style combination was. of things to when you put it together, image. When you put it together, you get me. <laughs> anyway, Carry on. Throw in something about... Kira Knightley or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I really do respect that he's able to have this, what could come off as very jumbled thing, but the performances still really do come through. Like, mm-hmm. like I mentioned Matt Damon. Brian Cox is very good in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know he's on Secession or whatever that show is. Um, It's called Succession. I've watched the first season. But uh, he's he's really good in this. I really like him in this. I, Joan Allen is very good in it as well. Um, I kind of wish we'd gotten a little more of a performance from Carl Urban. I like him there because I like Carl Urban. Mm-hmm. But I feel like if I didn't 
if I didn't have the history of like that's Ammer and Dread and Billy Butcher, I'd be like, yeah, that's that guy's kind of intense, sure. Um, but it's kind of like Clive Owen in the previous one, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but having said that, I think Cox and Allen just just really shine through in this. Julia Stiles does does nicely. I think I've gone into this trilogy thinking she was a much bigger part of these movies than she is, and she is a key part of the movies, but she's not like on screen as much as I guess I was assuming she would be, at least in the first two. She she gets more to do. Okay. She's yeah. the ultimatum? Yeah. Um, And that was something that threw me off, too, is that the... uh, For some reason, I thought Brian Cox was in the third one as well. Obviously, mm. he kills himself in this one. Um, But I, I think I had, like, moved some of the plot of this movie into the third movie. Gotcha. Because um, also the, the ending of this, which is fantastic, where yes. the, the final singer is him saying... Joan gets some sleep. You look tired because he's yeah. watching her across the across the New York skyscape cityscape. Yeah, uh, through through window. Um, I thought that was in the third one. I think he might have a similar beat in the third one, but I was thinking that specifically was from the third one. So. No, it 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 is. Um, so Paul Greengrass takes a very interesting approach with that scene in the third film. Um, and I. I remember listening to his commentary for Ultimatum a long time ago, and he just starts off by saying, yeah, I wanted to revisit that scene and give it a mm. different context because I thought it'd be neat. So in that, in Ultimatum, I won't give too much away, but basically that's the start of the third act is that scene. Hmm. And I think that's just really cool. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'll be interested to see. All right. Yeah. Well, that helps me feel better about my memory. Yes. <laughs> Unlike well, Chase and Bourne. <laughs> <laughs> and I will say, <laughs> I, 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 all the complaints about the fridging of, of Marie, which is my favorite new French New Wave film. Um, <laughs> I, I re- <laughs> Godard really did something with that, I assume. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to get that poster on my wall. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, the turtlenecks? So good. Really really makes you think it's a good movie because there's turtlenecks. Uh, like but, the Born Identity. Yeah, the Born Identity. But there's a... Uh, I, I like how they don't make a big thing out of Pamela being a woman. Like, Brian Cox and Connor, sweetheart. She doesn't have a thing like, if I were a man, would you be questioning my authority? Like, it's very, it's, it's, there's that undertone, of course, inevitably, but it's very much like, yeah, she's in charge now and nobody really questions it. And I like that. I liked that it wasn't the, wait, the new boss is a woman. Well, I also like that they didn't have like, cause I, I could imagine this scene where in the third act, she slaps somebody or punches somebody. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't do that either. It's just like, try no, she... wearing a corset. Uh, right. And it's like. And it's like, girls, get it done. Yeah, I know. No, but like, she's just very competent and good at her job. And she wants to unearth the truth and get to the bottom of things. And it's like, yes, I can immediately get behind this character. Like, Oh, she's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I hadn't thought about it until I was, you couched it this way. Joan Allen is a good, like Chris Cooper proxy, just sort of in movies. I feel like a lot (laughs) of the, and again, this is a compliment. I think like a lot of the things I've seen Chris Cooper do, like, oh, Joan Allen could probably also do that. She could rap with the Muppets, and I bet it'd be yeah. delightful. Yeah, yeah that would put, be pretty good. Yeah, put her in a Muppet movie. I bet she'd actually be really fun in one. Uh, something I was thinking of watching this, because we're going kind of uh, low-key going back to these with the context of knowing that the creators of Andor are also involved in these movies. 
Um, she is a very similar character. I mean, a lot more sympathetically portrayed, I think, but a very similar character to Miro from Andor. Oh yeah. Um, sure. And that was something that I think continued to resonate with me about, like we, we talked about last time, the, the politics, the power plays of like these organizations, the way they work is that people report to people and yeah. they have to get their ideas across and they have their motivations and like they're driven by something um, and are trying to make that thing happen within the structure of whatever bureaucracy. Um, so that was really interesting to me. I had that thought of like, yeah, she, she's in a very similar place where it's like, yeah, she's going after our protagonist. Uh, we, we don't necessarily have any reason. We have some reasons to be like, eh, we don't really want you to get our protagonist, but like she is a kind of a fully painted character. Yeah. That's yeah, I agree. Who's very lived in. Um, and there, there's not like, Oh, you're a girl, so we don't take you seriously. But there are there is the undertones of like, yeah, <clears throat> that is something that is she is also working through of like overcoming obstacles that people might not take her seriously or take her as seriously. And like, and, and some of that is I think treated as simply a, a veteranship. Um, yeah, there's a yeah. great line because of course I've harped on a lot about how much I love the dialogue in Andor, which I know that wasn't all Tony Gilroy, like Bo Willeman and I yeah. think Dan Gilroy also contributed to that beautifully, but. There's a great line of this where Brian Cox says to her, you talk about this like you read it in a book. Mm-hmm. Or you handle this like you read it in a book. I love that. That is such a great line. I think that's the end of a scene between the two of them. Yeah. And that's such a, ah, oh, it's so good. Yes. Yeah, I do like how most of the scenes with her and Brian Cox are just him going, are you sure you want to do that though? Yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of my favorite scenes in this movie, one of my favorite little turnaround things is when Bourne is interrogating him and he gets a gun on the back of his head, and it's not a gun, it's a recording device. Like, I love yes. that. Yeah. That's where the tight camera really benefits that scene, where it does, where I think in a lot of movies, you would go like, wait, why are we suddenly shooting it so close up? Ah, we're hiding something. But the entire movie shot that way. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it's such a great reveal, both to Brian Cox and to us, that like, oh, you're totally lost now. You're totally sunk, because now yep. you know and we know that the good guy has all of your 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 dirt. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I liked, um, despite kind of my reservations with kind of the uh, two competing subplots, um, I did like just all the political stuff in this. I think it does a, it, it does a good job of not, it doesn't do much hand-holding, but I don't feel like it loses the audience all that much either. I think that there's maybe small places like understanding the deal of, oh, we're trying to pay off this informant who's going to give us yeah. this stuff and we're going to, you know, find out who's leaking secrets or, you know, something like that. Um, but that's just kind of normal spy movie stuff. One thing I did want to touch on, um, I really like that the plot is Pamela having to go in and basically unearth Treadstone. Because just... Comparing it to Bond or the Mission Impossible movies, we've talked about this before. It's kind of ludicrous that, you know, you watch like the Roger Moore Bond movies and he just throws his name out willy-nilly and everyone Mm. seems to know, oh, James Bond, super super spy, got it. Um, And I like how this movie is like, oh, what's this Treadstone project? It was buried? Who's this Jason Bourne guy? Like it's it's not like... 
oh my God, it's Jason Bourne. Like everyone knows who he is. It's it's not that type of thing. It's like, no, this was a black ops program. Nobody would know that he exists aside from like a handful of people. I really like that. Just kind of that, that more grounded approach as opposed to kind of the, the more pop spy movies um, mm-hmm. where it's just like, eh, they, they kind of just throw out their names, whatever. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, something that I, I can't believe I haven't talked about yet uh, when we've been talking about these movies is the fact that he is a rogue agent the entire time. I've I've gone on many a spiel about how spy movies can't figure out a plot other than to make the agent rogue. Modern spy um, movies at the very least. Yes, yes. Uh, what works really well in this case is that there, there's not, it's, it's such a pragmatic view of like how spy agencies or assassin agencies would work, how, how, you know, a black ops team like this would operate that it's, it is just, he is against this agency and we are on his side for being against this u.s agency <laughs> and we're just going with that where like you look at specter something like that where you you have oh here's the guy taking over uh the mi6 or whatever you know the guy from sherlock who's like the future is now old man <laughs> um, in that movie i'm pretty sure that was uh, a line of dialogue in specter. It's, it's, it's something like that um <laughs> But you have that where it's like, oh, there, the agency's not bad, but there's just like there's a there's a bad guy there, and we can do better, you know. Like yeah. we, we just got to get rid of him. There's a conspiracy; he's trying to do nefarious things. We got to get rid of him, or like even getting obviously way more out of the realm of uh, realism. But Winter Soldier, you know, oh, the you know, Shield is actually Hydra, but then it's well, we'll rebuild Shield under Samuel Jackson. It's going to be great, and we're going to like start from the ground up and like be optimistic about the future. It's like we, we got rid of the bad agents and the bad, the bad seed. And now we can do a fresh start. And like the goal is to have this thing be operating and be successful and like a force for good in the world where this is just like, this is totally just an agency that is working on behalf of its country to do the things its country wants to do. And there it's not like there's no moralizing at all <laughs> it's just like, yeah well it's also not a oh I, take the system down kind of franchise yeah. it, it's just like i'm going to resist what these people are doing to me yeah and i am pretty pretty well in my right to do so i, uh, I, I was i was a cog in the funny. wheel i got kicked out of the wheel not now i gotta avoid being crushed by the wheel yeah yeah like i it is i think a really refreshing approach to and probably the most uh realistic feeling version of a rogue a rogue agent kind of story um so it does actually work really well i think in this case where normally i'm like oh my gosh (laughs) he's against them again like there's no there's no point at which you're like oh yeah i think maybe the end of this will be that born you know rejoins the agency and now they're gonna do things right like that's not (laughs) it's not on the table that's not where we're going with this one he's he's not trying to take down like you said the entire system it's one group of people as one operation yeah well for most of the movie he's just like i need to figure out why people killed marie like why are you still hunting me like he doesn't even know like i'm on vacation oh i'm being framed i have to clear my name like he doesn't even realize that until like two-thirds of the way through the movie yeah 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 i like the car chase oh the car chase is so so good 
Like those sounds are so visceral and crunchy. Well, <laughs> like, the best the best part is. Uh, this is something where it's like I remember there being a really cool car chase, but I don't remember just how cool it is, and it kind of comes out of nowhere, but in the yeah. best possible way. Like you start that scene, and you're like, "Oh, are we doing a car chase now?" And then it's like the biggest, coolest car chase you've ever Crazy. seen. <laughs> and it's not like stylized in the sense of they're not driving super shiny like Lamborghini right. kind of yeah. cars. It's just like I don't know. Here's a car I found. All right, here's a car I found. Let's find each other. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, it's really good. Also, like, there's a couple of scenes of... Oh, it's where uh, Bourne, like, walks up and he's, like, pretending to be drunk. And when a cop comes over to check on him, he spits the the yep. booze out in his face. Yeah. Great. I love Matt Damon. I also like j- just the very practical thing of he's been shot while he's driving and he's got the vodka bottle and he's just pouring it on the yeah. wound. Um. It's just like it's little details like that throughout the action scenes. It's like, yeah, they're they're thinking. It's like, yes, he is a, a spy on the move who's wounded. He would take care of that. Yeah, you know? well, he, mm-hmm. take, he takes a fall at one point and he limps for a good bit of the movie. Mm-hmm. I think and he I was like, for the rest of it. For the rest of the movie, and I was like, Alex is going to be pretty good with this one. <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he like jumps off a bridge onto a boat and yeah. then hooks onto the bottom of the bridge just in time for no one to see him do it, <laughs> except for some guys on the street who are like, or on the bridge who are like. Wait, what? Who are you? <laughs> they look down at their jugs with, with three X's on them and toss it away, shaking their heads. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a pigeon did a double take as well. Um, <laughs> I I think it's really striking the final image of Carl Urban just laying there, like mm-hmm. oh, like man. shaking as he just dies. And there's yeah. not there's not like a stupid one liner. There's not yeah. there's not anything super cheesy. It's more just born just kind of standing there like leaves i'm i'm just gonna walk away now (laughs) and like i'm just imagining all the people behind that have like stopped or they've crashed their cars and they're just walking watching this man limp away and they're just like what what do we what do we do yeah well it's just funny because that's the beginning of the movie carl urban walks away from the car crashing off the bridge and everyone's like who what are you look weird. <laughs> what, yeah. <laughs> what, is, what is this like emotion you have on your face right now? I do like Bourne. Um, I, I think it's a little easy that Bourne sees him in the marketplace. Like when he first shows up in the beginning, I think that's a little easy, but I do like when he's talking to Marie, he's like, yeah, the clothes, the look, none of it's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like that. That that's, that's fun. Yes. I, um, I really like how we get reintroduced to Carl Urban after he kind of disappears for a little while because he shows up in a, in a strip club and it's, you know, very common thing. I mean, again, talk about John wick. How many yeah. times does the movie have Russians in a club like just yeah. hanging out and partying, but then he walks outside and it's broad daylight. Uh-huh. And that's a very jarring. That's like, how you know he's cool. a bad guy. He goes to daytime <laughs> strip clubs. <laughs> yeah. Sure. But it, it is just, I yeah. think a neat way to, to, glamorize like all elements of this where it's like sure. oh that you know russian spy they're they're living large that you know uh-huh. they're 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 paid by the estate to take out russia's enemies and like they're they're i don't know i i think that's usually how movies approach it and so i think that's a nice little really quick way to yeah. swing that and kind of frame frame how that's going i would agree That Moby song still slaps. <laughs> no, it's great. It's a very, very it's good song. It's awesome. <laughs> and 
and it's I like, like that they have a credit song they reuse that's i like that yeah and but but it's just like you're waiting you're on the edge of your seat just in the final scene of like i'm waiting for it to to, to pop up i'm waiting for it <laughs> the yeah again the third movie i i know does it very effectively i i'm very excited to get back to that the third one does it well the fourth one does it well i don't remember okay. how the fifth one does it we'll find out in, in <laughs> the middle of the movie <laughs> and then there's a record scratch and he goes you're probably wondering how i got here yeah but all started when a boat found me in the ocean I don't know why I was in that ocean. <laughs> I don't know who I am. <laughs> uh, we also find out what his actual name is. Yeah. Remind me. David Webb? Mm-hmm. Jason Jason Bourne is better. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see why he kept it. Chris Cooper had a real eye for code names. Yeah. <laughs> That was that was mostly how we got the position. I was like, well, I'd call him Isaac, but I feel he has like a meeting that'd with, be a little. With, he has a meeting with Brian Cox, and then he's like, Brian Cox is like, all right, so what are, what have you been up to? Like, uh, what's you know, is there anything I need to know about? Have you been destabilizing countries? And he's like, don't worry about all that. Look, look, look. I got this guy. His name. Let me let me run this by you. His name's David Webb. Know what we're gonna call him? Jason Bourne. And Brian <laughs> Cox is like. You done it again. All right. <laughs> Say that. Have again. another million dollars. <laughs> He's Chris Cooper's got a baby names book behind his desk. <laughs> he just combines yeah, he's got a baby names book and then like I don't know, a list of uh every action star from Sure. The eighties and nineties. I was gonna call him Plant Speed Chunk, but I don't think that's gonna work as good. <laughs> Alex, what did I give the Born Identity? What did I grade? What did I grade B that? plus. Can, can you give that to me one more time? I need to write it down. <laughs> yeah, just uh, I think it was a G flat. <laughs> Modulate on the second phrase. <laughs> Uh, I feel like I think I'm gonna go B plus again. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna land on the same grade. I think so far I'd I'd put them both at things I very much liked and I thought were consistent with different strengths. I'm gonna go B minus. Do a little hop up for the previous. Oh gracious! Excuse me. Yeah, I think y'all talked me into giving it a higher grade than I was planning. I'm going to give it a B minus, which is the same that I gave Born Identity as well. There you go. Um, yeah, I think it's just kind of an even trade-off. Like I said, I find the story more compelling in the first one, but I think the style is just, it is so in tune with this material. Um, and this almost feels just like a test run for Paul Greengrass. And it's like, oh, when sure. he gets to Ultimatum, that's really like, sure. he's he's in it he's in his element he knows exactly what he wants to do so yeah i'll be interested to see what goes on in there be a good time well it's it's good that we have been discussing this movie and that tyler uh leaked much like a government agent would 
my recommendation this week because I'm doing another retcommendation. That's right. Oh. It's where I discuss a movie that has previously been discussed in the podcast, but for which I was not present. And this week I watched Captain America, The Winter Soldier, uh, which is another nice. movie whose title doesn't really fit the movie. Um, <laughs> my... There was a real moment there, I just want to say before you get into it, that I thought you were going to say you watched Eagle Eye. And I was <laughs> very confused, but kind of happy about it. <laughs> Brent's not a retcommendation so much um, but yeah, I watched Captain America Winter Soldier, and the, my biggest takeaway about this movie was that it's not really about the Winter Soldier, and I think you could should just the 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 meaner angels of my nature say don't have the Winter Soldier in the movie at all, but because he's not really necessary to the plot, it's more about Steve's per, making it personal for him because the crux of the plot really is the Hydra takeover stuff, right? And so. I understand Winter Soldier, it's a it's a catchier title, and it's not... I think you just changed the title, because... And, and I've made it clear that I don't think Bucky's a compelling character. Um, and I, I think these movies put too much on him before that character can carry it. Um, more to come in a future recommendation. But oh. I do think that... I, the, I, I just think you didn't really need to call it the Winter Soldier, because it's not really about the Winter Soldier. Having said that, I do quite like the movie, but I'm going to get all my negative caveats out of the way first. I think it's a movie that doesn't do enough of any of the things that I like about it, but there are a lot of things that I like about it. I really love the relationship between Cap and Falcon. Wish we got more of it, though. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the stuff about him living his life, being across the, the hallway from Emily Van Camp. Wish we got more of that. Loved the scene where he goes to the Smithsonian. I love all the stuff that's about him reckoning with being a soldier, reckoning with being a man out of time. Wish we got more of that. Um, and so this movie is constantly doing things that I like and constantly making, and not just like suggesting them, but actually doing them. And I'm like, oh, I can see that you're, you're yep. doing it. I want more of it. Um, and if you cut Bucky, we would get to <clears> do that. Um, but I also felt like the action sequences get better throughout the movie early on. I, I don't really like the early action sequences, but there is a scene where, uh, much like in Born Identity, Natasha is falling down a some like a, a high drop and she shoots the guy as she goes down. Um, this Sorry, is also... are you uh, are you are you shaming Badrock right now? Badrock. Badrock. Bat Batrock. B a t r o c. I've what? only ever read it in the comic books, but he's the guy that does all the flips and the kicks. Oh, the, the one no, on just... one on the boat. Yeah. Oh no, I like that scene just fine. Okay. Um, okay. I just have to have to verify. No, 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 not that one. Um, <laughs> but this movie really is very born. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. in that it's about a soldier who loses his memory and there's other stuff. But also, <laughs> there's a whole car chase takedown of Nick Fury that I really love the ideas in it. I was really frustrated with how it was put across. Mm. I feel like it's really clumsy and the editing is weird and the shots are weird. Like, I just didn't like how it was shot. But by the third act, I think all those fight scenes look great. I love all the stuff with the helicarrier. I love all the explosions and the jumping around. I love Sam flying around. I love all the love. I really enjoy all the fight scenes at the end. I think it's just a movie that is doing a lot and is good at the stuff it's doing. But I wanted more of each of those things and it doesn't really balance it all well enough i really like robert redford obviously and i really like having a villain that's not a superhero i like that i like that the villain of this movie is a suit and he's not he doesn't have superpowers 
it's just Robert Redford hearkening back to all the president's men and three days of the condor and all that business. Um, I think it functions pretty well as a political thriller. Um, there's a whole extended bit with Toby Jones as a computer. That's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Samuel Jackson in general. I love Chris Evans. I think he continues to be really good. Um, I'm going to give it the same. Uh, um, wait, I gave a minus to first Avenger. Yes. B plus. I did. Interesting. Well, I'll give this a B plus. Because I really feel like First Avenger is a movie that generally I really enjoy. I really like the aesthetic. I really like the whole movie. But every time we get a just villain scene, it just like loses all of its air for me. And I find it very uninteresting. With this, I never reach the heights of enjoyment that I do in First Avenger. But it's a steadier enjoyment. I'm pretty consistently engaged without throughout the entire movie. So, Captain America the Winter Soldier. I still quite like it. Britain, I, I don't I don't mean to address a couple of your criticisms and turn no, this please. into a mini review of Captain America <laughs> the Winter Soldier, but I feel like I have to be the uh, know-it-all that I always uh, strive to be. Uh, <laughs> um, Winter Soldier actually has another meeting. Um, Go on. Uh, so I, I think it's from Thomas Paine uh, describing soldiers during the Revolutionary War. It's supposed to be soldiers that specifically will stick to to their cause and their country through thick and thin. Ah, okay. Well, that makes so sense. So that actually is a double meaning, not just referencing Bucky as sure. the literal winter soldier, but also okay. Captain America is the winter soldier in a way. Okay. We got a real Angelica Schuyler over here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. it's also where my brain went. <laughs> his name is winter soldier Skywalker. Um, <laughs> what that no, that, that I did not know that. But, yeah, that definitely makes sense. And then also, um, my argument for Bucky being in the movie is that that is a a uh, physical embodiment of the past right. coming back to haunt Steve and that him questioning whether or not what he did in the past was even worth it. And yeah, yeah. his victories, though he fought hard for them, they didn't amount to much. And I think that if and I really think it's more that and now I, I guess I have a, a less less conviction about the title. But when so I was a minus, just, right? but still when the when when i was only thinking of the title as a reference to the character it felt like the whole movie based around this one i see why the character is in the movie but it would almost be like if they named uh wakanda forever here comes namor (laughs) or something it'd be like (laughs) well yeah namor is a big part of this but it's not really like explicitly about namor black panther the submariner well sure he goes underwater (laughs) well i was gonna say like if if civil war was like <clears throat> Civil War, Rise of the Black Panther. Sure, like, yeah. That is a big part of it. Civil War, yeah. Crossbones I, I, is here. I could see the concern there. Yeah. Yeah, and that, but so, um, and, and I'm, we know I obviously have my claws out for Bucky. Kind of like right. Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a good, that's a good NCU reference there. I was going to say, I can't, I can debate you about some things. I'm not going to argue with you about Bucky. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll no, leave. No, that, I'll leave that where it lies, sir. I think those are very fair arguments for those implementations. Absolutely. <clears throat> I think I talked about this way back when, when we uh, reviewed it, but that is definitely a movie that <clears throat> as I, if I'm not watching it, it kind of fades for me a little bit. I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's good. I don't totally get all the, the love for it when I'm watching it. I'm like, oh yeah, this is really good. I really right. like it. <laughs> I, I, get, I will, I'm sure rewatch it at some point in my life. And I think again, we'll still go like, yeah, this is fun. I like this movie. <clears throat> And that's kind of why I wish it did more of those things because it is constantly pleasing yep. me. So, what do y'all have? 
my recommendation is Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Hey, I remember that. I can't remember if I've recommended it before because I know I only watched. So. I have only watched it within the past, you know, two or three years. Days. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Hmm. Um, basically, it's a romantic comedy from about fifteen years ago uh, with Kat Dennings and Michael Sarah, um, and it's just like a really cute, earnest story about these two, these two kids in New York that fall in love during this crazy night out on the town. Um, and they bond over uh, indie and alt rock music. So obviously, I was enjoying that quite a bit. Um, there's a lot of really good songs on the soundtrack. Um, meanwhile, they're kind of trying to get over past relationships that have kind of been very toxic. And so they finally found another person that they can fully connect with. Um, it's just like really sweet. And it's only like 90 minutes. Um, I will say it does play up some of the raunchy, like, frat boy humor a bit too much in places. There's, like, two or three jokes where I'm like, I I wouldn't have done that. Um, but aside from that stuff, I, I really, really like that movie. Um, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. It's cute. Probably a good date movie. I don't know. I've never seen it, but I remember a lot of my, my circle at the time seeing it and enjoying it. I think I, I started it and didn't get super far in it. A ways back. At some point, I should give it another shot. But I think maybe some of the humor did throw me off a little, so maybe that's the problem. <clears throat> it's cool seeing Kat Dennings give a performance instead of just a bunch of quips. Yeah, she's great. Uh, I have for once. I have two things I could recommend, and I can I can store one. Like a did you like watch Game of Thrones again? <laughs> I watched all of Game of Thrones. Watch Game of Thrones. Just season eight. Just season eight. Watch it again. Dang it. I don't care if you hate it. He had a foam finger on the whole time. He's like, yeah! <laughs> Go hot pie. Um, I, I'm i going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the, a more topical one because it'll probably be the discussion going on right now. Um, Succession? I You've been watching Succession all too? All of Succession. Uh, and I got to see the rest of it as well. They wow. just, Brian Cox called me up and asked if I wanted to <laughs> see the rest. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> and then you asked him, will you stop doing those terrible McDonald's commercials? And he was like, no, I thought that was him. I've been too afraid to Google it. <laughs> I, um, he was like, I shot myself in born supremacy. I have to do something to make yeah. money. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he actually did that. Yeah. It was a mistake. It's been, that's why, that's why it took so long for him to get succession. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the new big role is like, he had to recover and hospital bills. It's a whole thing. Look, that's a rough time. That's why he wasn't in X-Men Origins Wolverine or any of the subsequent movies where yeah, Stryker is nothing like Brian Cox. <laughs> that's why. Um, I, I kind of on a whim ended up watching all of, um, <laughs> I want to say joke. <clears throat> joke names here, but I won't. Uh, I watched all of uh, John Mulaney's new special, yeah, Baby J. I want to watch um, that. It really threw me off. Uh, I had heard that it kind of addresses for those who aren't in the know. John Mulaney, he uh, went into rehab <clears throat> towards the end of 2020. And then during that, the course of that process, he ended up divorcing his wife. And then he uh, is dating Olivia Munn. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, there you go. Um, and they have a child together and like whole kind of uh, reputation turnaround. He did a lot of comedies about like his family. He has, you know, 
very iconic joke about saying like how great it is to call some, call his wife his wife <laughs> like so has marred some of his previous his previous work um and so i kind of was like well you know i'm curious to see like how does he address that what what's the deal um and basically the way he does it is in this special is by totally just going completely vulnerable on his addiction and like the entire it, it starts off kind of in a weird place and it, it takes a little while to get to where you can tell exactly what he's doing with it um but it is totally just living in the fact that he was kind of a uh a very d- desperate person for a long time and was hiding it very well um it's not something that made me laugh out loud a bunch. You know, I think there are bits that are funny, but I think it's almost sort of a, uh, a Bo Burnham's inside situation where by the end of it, I'm like, I have more feelings than I expected to leave that with. Um, because it is, I mean, it's like genuinely, I think a pretty brave approach, which is such a like thrown around word about like people opening up. I don't know. Like celebrities obviously, have a bigger safety net than regular people do a lot of the time. But like he really digs into it and he really is not shy about like explaining where the kind of situation he was in um, and the kind of person he was before he kind of got clean. Um, And it ended up being something that I found very like inspiring to an extent. I don't know. It it is not at all what I expected. I really think he could have, just tried to like hand wave it and be like, I'm just the fun comedian. I'm, you know, going to mostly just find other material and I'll talk about my childhood or whatever and move on. And like, that's absolutely not what he does. Like he, he sits in there and like paints a really rough picture of himself um, before he went into rehab and like in the process of, of him going into that, uh, that ended up like, I, I just was not expecting it to go that re- I figured he might like address it a little bit and make some jokes about it, you know, move on and then get back to his usual chick. But I, I found it really compelling. It probably was not as funny as some of his previous ones have been for me, but I kind of just enjoyed hearing the story of what he went through and like found it really insightful. Um, so I, I would say if that sounds like something you'd be interested in checking out and, you know, if you were kind of feeling a little weird about John Laney, uh, there's a big kind of faction of the internet that I think because his, relationship with his wife was so kind of out there that everyone was able to sort of parasocially grab onto it themselves. Um, and so like became very attached to that and was very upset when they, they divorced, which is probably not the healthiest (laughs) way to look at celebrity relationships. I mean, I guess that's what tabloids have done for many years. So obviously there's a, there's an audience for people who care about that sort of thing. But, um, I think it, it does a really good job of like, him walking through all this without ever really addressing that specifically, like his relationships, he doesn't bring his wife into it as all at all, or his ex-wife into it at all. Um, by addressing all of that, it sort of paints a very clear picture of like, Oh, this is a different person. Like that. It is not shocking that that relationship did not survive what he was going through. <laughs> like the, the, he doesn't have to explain that or get into like the specifics of their relationship in order to show like, this was not there. He had too much to work on himself. I think to be able to like look at that stuff and say like, why did you do that? It's like, Oh, you were 
had a serious addiction and were, you know, really dealing with problems that you had created and having to get through that. So I don't know. It was, it was just such a different experience from what I expected that would be. I kind of expected it to be more of just the quick sort of apology thing and, you know, trying to repaint his, his public image and he steers right into it. So um, I was really impressed by that. And I would say if I have uh, made it sound interesting, go check it out because I think it is cool to see a celebrity be, you know, just like one of us, like just like nothing. <laughs> uh, it, it was, it's, it's an interesting special. And I think it's something that I would not expect a lot of people to do when they're in that position. Yeah. I wanted to watch it anyway, but now even more so that definitely sounds like I would enjoy it. And I bet I'll enjoy our next movie too. The born ultimatum. <laughs> yeah. That's a transition. Um, we should we should britain you and i should each watch them back to back and just baby jay and born ultimatum yeah who, who, okay <laughs> so who, which one would you prefer to watch first and then i'll do the opposite <laughs> start them at the same time in yeah. two different shifts we'll see we'll, we'll see who has the better viewing experience <laughs> yeah and i'll go watch game of thrones <laughs> i set it up well don't watch vantage point before us <laughs> we all have to watch we have to switch and watch vantage point in each other's homes so we have a different vantage point on the movie <laughs> we, have to do we each watch vantage point three times on three different devices it's one like person watched it on tv and they're on a laptop another on their phone yeah. yes. <laughs> and then we all well oh well interesting because dennis quaid on a computer totally different quaid If you want to find out when we're talking about Vantage Point, you can find us online at herecomethesequels.blogspot.com. You can find us on Twitter at HCTSequels. You can email us at herecomethesequels at gmail.com. We are on Spotify. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on all this stuff. Give us a like. Give us a subscribe. Tell us you love us. We crave your attention. Um, I think I've said that before. (laughs) But uh, it's still true. It is. We're still here. We are still here, is, and we will. Still is be. the takeaway? <laughs> I don't think we have any any podcast mail, um, so please send us podcast mail. <laughs> uh, I don't care what it is; just like you know, let us know you're out there. Yeah, yeah. We're here. Let us know that you're here. Yeah, I'm checking our junk folder. <laughs> <laughs> A letter from the president. Evil Lincoln. Ghost of Taft. I got nothing. There is is more spam, but none of it it is sticking out to me. We we, we like to build up our our weird uh, podcast mythology around (laughs) weird variants of presidents, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, that's a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can maybe find out if we bring a president up in next week's episode. Born Ultimatum. Probably. I've been Alex. That's a good bet. Yeah. Coming at you, Herbert Hoover. I've been Britain. <laughs> I've been Tyler, and my favorite president is Woodrow Wilson. And you're having a good night. Who watches the Hoovers? <laughs> <laughs>